We are in Genesis 41 this morning. Genesis 41. We uh, finished Genesis this week. We have, as a church, been reading through the whole Bible. We're trying to read through the whole Old Testament this year, and we finished Genesis. If you're reading with us, either physically or on the audio Bible app, Dwell, we're using, we finished Genesis this week. We have, right here, I have the March reading plan, right here. On the back of the reading plan, if you want to grab one, is the March calendar for all the events for the month. So I kind of made a double, double duty. Oh, I was thinking... Um, smart guy. <laughs> but uh, um, so that's available for everybody as we start, we start Exodus tomorrow. But the end of Genesis really dealt with a guy named Joseph. J- the end of the, the book really followed the story of many of Joseph. Who is this guy named Joseph? So Joseph is the 11th son of Jacob. So it's Abraham had Isaac. Isaac, he had Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. See, Jacob the schemer, Jacob the scoundrel, finally got his comeuppance in his life. Jacob travels to his, his, like, his mother's home country, meets a pretty girl at a well. And like, when you do when you meet a pretty girl, he wanted to marry her. So he goes to her father and says, I want to I marry your daughter. He goes, oh, that sounds great. Work for me seven years, you can marry my daughter Rachel. The Bible says, and he loved her so much, the seven years seemed like a day. How sweet is that? Just work for her. Seven years passes, they get married and have a wedding. And we don't know what happens. I, I have my theories. I think, man, um, it's a party. It's a wedding, a little too much drinky, drinky, and there's a bride switch at the end of the night. He goes to the married chambers, lays with his wife, wakes up, and he rolls over like, hey, baby, I love you. And it's not the girl he married. It's somebody else. It's, it's Leah, the sister. And the Bible says Leah was soft on the eyes, which probably means she wasn't as attractive as her sister. He comes to the father and says, what have you done to me? I, I worked seven years for Rachel, and you, you give me Leah. And the father goes, ah, I mean, in our country, we never marry the younger sister before the older. It's how we do things here. Because he's like, you know what? I want to be fair. If you work seven more years, I'll give you Rachel. So Jacob works seven more years. So 14 years he works for this guy. And with two wives, two sister wives. There's a show about this on, like, TLC, I think. Um, some network, I don't know, I don't watch it. But he's got these two wives, and he loves Rachel and not Leah. Rachel is his beloved, it's the one he flirts with, it's the one he, he, he likes, and Leah is neglected. And God sees this, and so God gives Leah children. She gets pregnant with, it's like, I think Reuben, and then Simeon, then Levi, and then Judah. Now, Judah is kind of the most important son of Jacob. We call Israelis Jews, right? That's the word we use, the Jewish people. Jew comes from the word Judah. The the people of Judah, the Jews. Judah is the line of Christ. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and then goes from there all the way to Jesus. 
Judah, you find him listed in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus. Joseph is not the child of promise. So why does the story follow the wrong character? It doesn't follow Judah, it follows Joseph instead. You see, Leah has all these kids. She has four sons. Rachel gets jealous and says, well, tell you, you know, this is not fair. She goes, I, I, I can't have kids. She says, listen, Jacob, my husband, take my maidservant and be with her. That will be, will be my kids. They call us like surrogate, like it's like surrogate parenting before they had like in vitro fertilization. You know what I'm saying? This is, and also to us, it seems weird. Back then, you could do this. So Rachel gives Jacob her maidservant and he has some kids with her. And Leah's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We'll take my maidservant. And she gets more kids on her team. They have the ten kids deep. Ten sons deep. And finally, Rachel gets pregnant with her first son, whose name is Joseph. Joseph's the firstborn kid to his favorite wife. What does that mean? That's his favorite kid. Right? He has ten sons but only he has one son from his beloved Rachel. So he makes for Joseph a coat of many colors to show the world, look how much I love my boy. And his other ten sons are like, stinking Joseph. They love their daddy too. But they see their daddy's affection all for the one boy, and they come to despise him. But thought about what do we call, what do we call Joseph? I thought about calling Joseph the dreamer. Because Joseph is given by God the ability to interpret dreams. He's a dreamer of dreams. He has prophetic dreams. He can understand dreams. But the story is really more than the dreams. To understand Joseph's true story, we must look at him in the same language that the prophet Isaiah uses. See, Joseph is a suffering servant. Like Christ, Joseph is a suffering servant. He is a man who is going to be faithful to God his entire life. And every time he's faithful, his life is going to get worse. Now this goes against the popular evangelical preaching of our day. In the world we live in, last Sunday... I was in Phoenix. I was able to go to church and just be not a pastor. I got to sit in a seat. I sat in a seat. And I'm like, all right, pastor, tell me something. I sat, I, was, I wanted to receive the word. I had my Bible in my hands. I was like, tell me where to go, baby. I was pumped. I love, I, love, I love going to church and sitting down and receiving just God's word over my life. I do. Well, that day, that Sunday, I, before I went to church, I was, I was watching a bunch of uh, live stream services before I went to service live. A buddy of mine started pastor church in Ohio. I watched his service. And I found myself seeing a service in uh, Chicago. And the Chicago church was the one that I found the most troubling. This preacher got up there and said, no joke, he said, it's a big church too. Not like a little guy like us, like a big dog, big building, lots of vehicles, Pay the pastor six-figure kind of church. You know what I'm saying? And, that, and he, had, he had a guest speaker there. And the guest speaker said to all the people there, the thousands of people, he said, if you give a tenth of your money to this church, I guarantee 
God will give you your money back and more. He gave the, he gave the Domino's 30-minute guarantee, right? If you give money to the church, he goes, I guarantee you'll get your money back and more. And, he, and then he preached. I'm like, dang, that's weird to save your guest preacher. Then the real pastor got up, and he goes, I double his guarantee. If you give money, I guarantee, if you, if you don't get money from the Lord, we'll give you your money back. I'm like, what am I watching? Like, what is happening? But this is the thing. Churches, we talk this kind of trash. We tell people all the time, if you come to Jesus, we promise you good times or good health or a good life. We talk that trash, and people think, if I go to God, then I will receive His blessings, His power. If I come to God, He's going to run linebacker for me, and I'm going all the way down the side of the end zone, baby, and doing the dance. We think it's going to happen to us. If that's true, if obedience is a guarantee of blessing. What do we do about the thousands of Ukrainian Christians right now who are begging God for deliverance? We have brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We have friends in Ukraine who spent how many hours at the border, babe? who waited in line for 47 hours at the border to be evacuated into Poland. Can you imagine that? Being with your family, your children, for 47 hours, and you're running from tanks to get to safety. Christianity Today put an article out yesterday. They called pastors in Ukraine. They called seminary leaders in Ukraine and asked in the interviews, and some of these interviews are printed off here to read you some of their their words. See, the Christian church in the Ukraine right now, the Orthodox, the Catholic, the Baptist, the Pentecostals, have all come together because their people are in a moment of, of great danger, of maybe near extinction. Listen to what one seminary uh, president said. He said, he asked for prayer for families, including his own, as Ukraine's announcement of total mobilization. Total mobilization, which means every male able to fight must fight. Total mobilization. It means many students, graduates, and faculty will be called for military duty to serve in the army and participate in the combat. Because all men ages 18 to 60 are no longer allowed to leave the country. If you are a man in Ukraine, you cannot flee to Poland. You must stay and defend your country. So this seminary, this president said, many of our graduates are putting down their Bible, picking up a rifle to defend the streets of their home. This man says, today I talked to my wife about the evacuation out of the Ukraine. Talked about her leaving and him staying. And she immediately refused and said, I will be with you to the very end. One pastor said these words. 
Our prayer today is that God's will spreads on the earth as it is in heaven. I encourage my staff and other Christian leaders that the mission stays the same even if we have to change geography. Even if I lose my home, I'm called by God for a purpose. Wherever I live, wherever I lay my head, I love this passage, this, this, what he's got is unreal. He says, when this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. We will shelter the weak, serve the suffering, and mend the broken. And as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. In our stories, we love heroes who defeat the bad guys. I want to see Rocky knock out Ivan Drago. Right? I want to see James Bond defeat whoever he's fighting this year. You know what I'm saying? That for us, that's the hero. The hero defeats the villain. But in the Bible, you read the story, and often the person following Christ, following the Lord, oftentimes their victory looks like a loss. Think about Jesus Christ himself. His, his followers, Christ's followers, the 12, they thought Jesus Christ would walk into Rome's capital and burn Rome to the ground. And, how, and, and they're with Christ, they're following Jesus, and what happens? He gets arrested, he's humiliated, he's nailed to a tree in front of everybody, and his followers run. Because that was a failure, not like a victory. Joseph's suffering servant. And he's going to teach us how to suffer well. I don't know how we became to believe that if we love God, we'll be free from all the pain everyone else has to go through. We are not given a get-out-of-jail-free card. We live in the same place everyone else lives. We live in the same world. Cancer, recession, Betrayal, we live in the same place, every one of us. How do we suffer well? Because Joseph, him and his coat of many colors, you know what happens to him? His brothers see him coming and say, I hate this guy. Let's kill him. And his older brother Reuben goes, let's not kill him. Let's put him in a pit and hold him for later. Now Reuben's thought, we'll put him in a pit and later on I'll get him out, take him back home to dad and save him. Reuben has like a, he's got a backup plan. But Reuben falls asleep. Or, so Reuben goes, he takes off somewhere, he's not there. The other nine boys are like, they see this, this caravan of traders. They run over to them and say, listen, how much for this young, look at this young strapping lad, he's 14, how much for this young man? They give him some gold and they give this young man to slavery. And Joseph is taken to Egypt. It says of Joseph that when he was sold in the night, he cried out to his brothers for mercy. Can you imagine that? Like, what was he saying? I love you guys. I'm your brother. I'm your blood. Don't do this to me. And he's drug off. A slave in a foreign land. Joseph is a slave serving in Potiphar's house. Even though he's a slave, God is with him. God is with him. He's given favor. He goes from a slave to a servant to being in the master's house. But sadly, he's a good-looking man, which is a curse sometimes, let me tell you. 
I'm just kidding. Just, I'm being stupid. I'm sorry. Uh, the master's wife sees Joseph and is like, man, you fine. And she starts making some moves, and he's like, my master, your husband is trusting me with this entire house. I cannot dishonor him or my Lord. I will not touch you. But she won't take no for an answer. And one day there's no one around. She makes a strong, strong, aggressive move for him, and he gets out of there. But she grabs a hold of him. He leaves his outer cloak and runs out of the house. He flees the temptation. And she's angry about that. She yells out, ah, people come. She said, this Hebrew man tried to rape me. And Joseph did the right thing is thrown into prison. The guy just cannot catch these. Just everything he does, he does the right thing, and he receives evil for it. He does the right thing, and his life gets worse. And that happens sometimes. As Jesus Christ himself said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they killed our master, they might hate us too. And Joseph just keeps on in prison. He does some favors for some guys. They promise, we won't forget you, man. We'll get you out of this pit. Get you out of this prison. They get out of prison. What they do? They forget him. And he just keeps on getting older and older. He's 14 when his life falls apart. And he's a grown man before he ever sees hope. 20, 30 years of just enduring an awful life. And then we come to Genesis 41. And Pharaoh, across town in the palace, has a bad dream. Two years did he help that guy out. It says, Pharaoh dreamed he was standing by the Nile River. And behold, there came up by the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed and the grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. What the crap was that? In the dream, there's some, what do you call that meat down in Brazil? That real expensive beef you can buy? Wagyu? Well, that's, that's how I was about. There's some kind of, kind of like, there's expensive beef you can buy, okay? Imagine like fat cow. Like a big old, the fattened calf, they call it, right? You plump that cow up, mmm, good eating. So there's seven fat, plump, juicy cows. It's a good dream. And in the dream, there's seven skinny, emaciated India cows, you know what I'm saying? And the seven emaciated cows, ribs all showing, gross, nasty, eat up the fat cows, eat them up, blah, 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 blah. And stay skinny and gross. You wake up, what the crap was that? And he asked his wise men, I had this dream. Tell me the dream. He has, he has another dream about corn, the same, same idea. Plump, fat corn, skinny, gross corn, weird dreams. The wise men, no one knows how to help him. And then, listen, in, in uh, verse 9, the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today, Pharaoh. 
when Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me and the chief baker in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I having a dream with own interpretation, and a young Hebrew was in there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams, giving interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about, and I was restored to my office, and the chief baker was hanged. He goes, Pharaoh, I met a guy in prison who knows how to read dreams. He's right down the street. You go get him. And Pharaoh goes and gets Joseph and bathes him and shaves him and cleans him. And he goes from the pal he goes from the pit to the palace. How does Joseph suffer well? How does he endure this long season? with little to no hope. I'll begin by saying this. He waited on the Lord. He waited on the Lord. We find this truth in Lamentations. We preached Lamentations a few months ago and came across this awesome, awesome truth. Listen to this. Lamentations 3. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. It is good for those to wait upon the Lord. For all these decades, Joseph's in prison. And you know what didn't happen to him? He didn't get bitter. How easy would it be to get bitter? How easy would it be in slavery to go to bed thinking about your brothers, thinking about, man, my ten brothers, they sold me out. They sold me out. Write their names down on the wall. I remember you. I'm going to do this to you and this to you and this to you. I'm going to get free someday. I'm coming for you guys. It's going to be a revenge movie called Kill Judah. It's going to be brutal. He didn't do that. He found a way to find peace in the midst of his suffering. And he, he, he went through all these things, and the whole time it did not destroy him as a person because the whole time he continued to trust in the Lord. He continued to wait on the Lord saying, man, I don't, I did right, I got put in prison. I, I went in the Lord. I wait on God to move. Waiting on the Lord is hard. Tom Petty's song says, the waiting is the hardest part. Many of us want to get to the destination. I want to know where I'm going, and I want to know how to get there. But walking with the Lord sometimes means, walking with the Lord sometimes means we only get to know the next step. We, like, I'm in Flint right now. I never dreamed I would be here. When, when we got married 18 years ago, this was not on our radar. We wanted to get married, my wife and I, work in a factory in Chicago, pay off our debt, and go to the mission field. That was the big plan. Guess what? Didn't happen. I ended up being a youth pastor in a suburban church. For five years, after that five years ended, we prayed, God, where do you want us to go in the world? We want to do missions. We prayed about Africa, prayed about the Middle East, prayed about China. You know what was not on our radar? India! 
It wasn't on the prayer board. It wasn't on the board. We're like, India, that's a billion people. They don't need us. We just like, it's not on the board. And God was like, India. Like, oh, shoot. You don't, I, I had no idea our path would bring us here. But following the Lord, you don't know the path he's going to bring you on. You don't know where you're going, how you can get there. It's a matter of trusting the Lord. As the prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. Give me food for the day. I can survive this. And I'll face tomorrow when it comes. We wait on the Lord. Joseph waits. And he's brought before Pharaoh. Listen to what he says. Then Pharaoh, verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now imagine this moment. This guy has been a slave and a prisoner for the majority of his life. And now they have a nice clothes, a clean shave. In Pharaoh's palace, most of us would try to figure out, how do I leverage this moment for myself? How do I get more money or a better job? How do I impress this guy? i got to show off to this dude. What does Joseph say? Pharaoh says, I heard you're the man. You know, he says, he goes, I ain't the man. He says, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. In that moment where he could glorify himself, he chooses to give God the glory. In that moment of suffering, he goes, you know what? After all he's been through, he's like, man, I'm not the man, but I know the man. God will tell you what you want to know. And as you read the passage, Joseph keeps on pointing Pharaoh back to the source of truth, back to to the Lord. And here's the reality. When you are in the midst of suffering, suffering, when we go through suffering, you know what suffering is? It is a microphone. Before this week, those Ukrainian pastors were serving small little churches and small little towns and they were faithful, and no one cared. Then Russian tanks came over the border and began bombing their homes. And the whole world looked to see how do Christians react when their livelihood is threatened, when their home is threatened. And when the camera got put in front of these pastors' faces, in front of these believers' faces, they didn't say, Venmo me some money. They didn't say, subscribe to my newsletter. Invite me to your church to speak. They said, we pray that whatever happens next, the unsearchable riches of Christ and his gospel go forward in the world. They gave God the glory. In the midst of their suffering, they pointed everyone who asked back to the one who gave them hope. Because when we suffer, listen, when we go through suffering, People look to see, well, how does a person survive that? They look at us. How did you endure that? And many of us don't suffer well. We blame, we get angry, we're terrible patients. 
There's another way. We could choose to say, man, I'm going through this thing. I don't know why. And it is hard. It is hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. I will never say it's not hard. I'm not saying man up or woman up. We're not saying that. There is a time to weep and a time to mourn. <laughs> I got sick this week, and I was uh, clean. I, I was I put a pillow down. I was in front of the toilet, doing the toilet hugging dance, you know. And I was praying. I'm, I'm, I'm like, Lord, this is off. I don't like it. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not happy. I'm not praising the Lord for being sick in my belly. I'm not Lord, thank you for the chance to suffer in this way. Like, I'm not. I'm not thanking him. I'm, I'm hurting. It hurts inside of me. I'm like, Lord, I, I, I literally at one point I might have said, Lord, just make it go away. I, I, I prayed the prayer. I asked for deliverance. I did. In that time of privacy, in that time of, of, of hurting, I asked the Lord for deliverance. But when me and the kids pray together, we always thank God for how good he was to us in the midst of our suffering. Even though me and Mama were sick as dogs and fevered up, I thank the Lord my kids didn't get sick. That was our prayer. That was our biggest prayer. Lord, don't the kids go through this. And they didn't throw up. Oh, no. oh, I'm grateful, grateful for that. Christ suffered so well. A thief on the cross next to him was like, who is this who suffers in silence when the world mocks him? And Christ, his silent obedience was so strong that thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Our suffering speaks loud. It speaks louder than our praises to a lot of people. Our suffering speaks louder than our our praises, that's crazy, but it's true. Joseph says to Pharaoh, verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. Again, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven good years, um, and the seven lean, ugly cows that come up after them are seven years. Blighted by the east wind, they're seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will be seven years of great plenty throughout the land of Egypt. After them, there will be seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unbeknown to the land by reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly Bring it about. Like Pharaoh, God's going to blow this land up. We have seven years. We're going to make some money. It's going to be good times. We're making overtime. We are killing it on finances. That, that seven years, seven years where we make, there's going to be famine. There's no food, no crops. We're going to be hit. It's going to be so bad, it's going to wipe out all our gains. From seven years before. He goes, Pharaoh, we have to, during the good years, put, put food aside to prepare for the famine that is coming. And Pharaoh goes, Joseph, you the man. Your God is awesome. 
I put you in charge of all of Egypt. The only one greater than you is me. Do as you have spoken. And, and Joseph begins holding back grain, preparing for the famine, and the famine does come. And when the famine comes, Egypt's able to save everybody. They were prepared. They were ready for it. His life goes on. Joseph's life, Joseph becomes this rich, powerful man, influential, marries the Pharaoh's daughter, has two sons, live in the dream, and one day in the middle of the famine, who comes to his door needing food? His ten brothers. They think he's dead. They think Joseph's dead. Years have passed. And Joseph's all dressed in Egyptian garb, wearing Egyptian makeup, Egyptian haircut. And he was a boy when he left. Now he's a man. And the brothers don't know him, but he knows his brothers. He plays a little game with the guys, like, let's see who these guys really are. Let's see what's going on. And then Joseph reveals himself. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And they're afraid of him. Because they think he's going to get us. He's going he's to get his back on us. At the end of the book in Genesis 50, at the end of the book, Papa Jacob dies. The sons are afraid that Joseph, the great one of Egypt, is going to wipe them off the face of the planet. And Joseph speaks these words to his brothers. Joseph says to the ten brothers who sold him into slavery, he says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph waited on the Lord. Joseph gave God the glory, and Joseph trusted God's plan. Now, Joseph, he got to see the fruit of his suffering. He's like, Look, my suffering saved thousands. A lot of us don't have that. A lot of our suffering, we don't know why it happens. And we want to know why, right? I want to know why the ball bounced this way and not that way. Why did I have to get cancer? Why did my kid have to pass away? Why did my industry fall down in America? Why was I raised in the hood? Why was I raised here, not there? The why is a big question. And we're never told we'll know the answer. We're never told that. We're never promised an answer. But we do get to see the author. The question is, do we trust the who? I don't know the why, but I can know the who. Do I trust in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who has a plan? And his plan is bigger than our individual stories. His plan is bigger than my story or your story. His plan is so big. And his will is so true. And it's not a lie. Two years ago, when I, I had COVID, two years ago next week, it almost killed me. And the night when it was the worst, when my air, my, my lungs began to collapse on me, I remember praying that night. I'm like, Lord, if you're going to bring me home, I'm ready to meet you. 
I'm like, take care of Andy and the kids, and you take care of the church. And I was not afraid because I knew that God's story was bigger than me. His story is bigger than our, our stories matter, but they're not the, we're not the main character, you understand? Jesus Christ is the hero of the story, and we're all like, we're in the credits, but we're real far down, you know? Like, we're like the gaff holder dude, you know, like, like the assistant to Mr. Clooney. That's us. We're down there. And that's all right. Joseph, what's crazy about Joseph, he's not even the main character of the story. It should be starring Judah, but Joseph's so faithful, God's like, look at this guy. And just gives him some mad attention because we see such faithfulness in his life. Joseph's one of the only two guys in the entire Old Testament who's not a complete piece of garbage. Like, Abraham's like, oh, this is my sister, hey. Like, Isaac, you know, Jacob's like, ah, oh, dad, I'm, I'm Esau. Like, these guys are terrible people. Joseph honors God his whole life and goes through all that pain. And just like Christ, it says of Christ, it says in the word that Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So I encourage you, all of you, I'm not going to be a doom-gloom guy right now. But there is war in Europe. We just came out of a two-year pandemic that revealed that we as a country are more divided than I've ever seen in my lifetime, right? As a people, we are divided one against another. It's, it's awful. The church, she is ugly right now. The Ukrainian church right now is sheltering the scared there, imagine during disaster the church decides to serve people instead of cry about their rights. Mind-blowing. There's talk of gas going up to high numbers because what's happening in Europe, that could happen. We need $4 a gallon again. Woo-hoo! We don't know what happens next. Not globally, not personally. But we as a church, we as followers of Christ, we trust him. That wherever we walk through, he'll be with us. And that is enough. So I encourage you to suffer well. Wait on the Lord. Give him the glory. And trust his plan, because he has a plan. He's got a plan. He's not going to lose this thing. He's not going to, he wins. That's it, he wins. He wins. The world is going to end the way he wants it to end. Whenever I hear Christians afraid, saying, what's going to happen? I'm like, do you not know the Lord? Where does this fear come from? We know he who made it all, and he who's bringing the world to the place he wants it to go. We need not be afraid. So we're going to end our time this way. A lot of us have a lot of hard things in our, in our hearts. Um, we're going to take some time to pray. We don't do this very often as a church. When I was a kid, we used to have like a cool altar that had like, it was carpeted, and it was soft, well, it was softer than concrete. And then we'd come forward and like bow down at the stage, and we could pray and ask God for help. 
We're just, we're just a moment. Uh, we're not, I'll ask the sound guy, if you would, brother, put some music on real quiet in a moment. Just real faint over the crowd, over the congregation. If you're here and you're just kind of going through some stuff, and you're a little shook, you're discouraged, you can come forward and call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. Maybe someone you love is going through it. You can come lift them up. Lord, my, my son, my mom, my spouse, lift them up. Or you want to come pray because you have friends in the Ukraine and you want to pray for the church across the world that's going through it. Come pray for them. But we're just going to have some silence. If you want to come and pray, come. If you, if you don't want to come pray, you don't have to. You can pray in your seat. You can leave. And please go quiet as you go. As you leave, we remind you there are, and keep it those, those on the guest services table. The March reading plan is on the guest service table. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer real quick. And if you want to come and take a knee and just seek the Lord, you are allowed to. Otherwise, we'll go end our time together. So I'm going to pray, and those who want to come forward are allowed to come forward. So let's pray. Thank you for this beautiful picture of a suffering servant. Our hero radar is all messed up. We think that swords and spears win wars. Lord, you are the king and your will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. But Lord, being men and women of clay, we get shaken, we get scared. We look at the waves, we look at the storm, we look at the storm and the wind, and we grow scared to the sink in the water we're walking upon. So we ask you, Lord, to grab our hand as we sink. We ask you, Lord, to, to strengthen our weak knees, to be the lifter up of our heads, to remind us of who you are and who we are in you. As your children come forward to pray, I ask, Lord, you'd hear our prayer. Receive our words, Lord. In Christ's name, we ask all these things. Amen.